Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kokoro Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have Dr. Matt Zanis. He is a physical therapist based out of Phoenix, Arizona. But before we get this party started, here's a message from Dr. Kelly Sturette. For your listeners, we have created, it's the readystate.com slash Kokoro Movement. We've got, we've got something for you. You know, we have, if you just want a two-week on-ramp crash course, Full access to everything. We'll give that to you for two weeks. Come come see how we're solving the problems. Take, steal what you like, you know, leave the rest behind, you know, keep speaking your own movement language. There you have it, my friends. Please go to thereadystate.com and take advantage of that free offer. And we're just going to jump right into this conversation without further ado, Dr. Matt Zanis. on this war wagon to get my fitness back because i've been really focused on the you know the uh strength for a long time and so the other day i ran like a quarter mile and was like oh bro you know <laughs> so hey, hey i i am right there with you dude um i think it was a couple weekends ago we always have a family dinner at my partner's uh, mom's house and they live about roughly two miles away from us right and she had taken my truck to go over there earlier in the day and i was still at home working this is sunday afternoon like it's getting around 4 30 i'm like i really don't want to take another car over there so it's two miles why don't i just jump off there <laughs> jump. <laughs> and like of course like the baseball player in me is like well you, you're really good at sprinting let's just see how fast you can run this first mile so i fucking haul ass and i finished that first mile in about six and a half minutes Jeez. And then the second one was like seven and a half, but like, I'm like, Hey, I guess I still got a little bit of it. Right. Like, no, I got nothing, nothing, man. Doing nothing but sprint work for the past like two years is paying off at least a little bit. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm just really working on intervals right now. So I don't just like teeter into that sympathetic state. You know what I mean? Because then I won't want to do it anymore. So like, (laughs) so I I feel you there (laughs) working, man. (laughs) It's brutal. Hey, but gyms gyms are opening back up now. Right. So, um, yeah. So we'll get to that. First, um, let's, <laughs> let's uh, talk about who you are and what you do and where you came from and why and all that stuff. Oh, Jesus. Do you have like three hours? <laughs> well, you don't have three hours. So you I don't get have on three it. hours, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is deep, I guess. Uh, well, I guess my whole background story to where I, I got out here in Arizona actually started back in the backwoods of Northeast Pennsylvania. So I am a cold cracker region boy from Northeast Pennsylvania, a little town called Pottsville. It's the home of Yingling beer. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's, you know, I might be a little biased, but it's the best in the country by far. And many of the East Coasters would agree with me. Um, but I grew up in a predominant like uh, baseball family. So dad was a left-handed pitcher in college. Brother was a right-handed pitcher. Uh, grandfather was actually drafted by the Pirates back in the day, like I think of the 60s. So baseball was kind of in my blood. It was in my genetics, or so I thought. And I thought I should be pretty good at it. The problem was, though, Jesse, is that I was freaking terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I was terrible. I really wasn't that great of a baseball player. Yeah, granted, I had some skills and whatnot. Um, but the problem was I kept getting injured year after year after year all these little repetitive injuries kept cropping up but you know what i had a hard like a really strong hard work ethic so i would practice more throw more run more bat more but 
just couldn't save off all these injuries. And I grew up in the time frame when strength conditioning was kind of poo-pooed upon for baseball players. Like they didn't want you to lift weights. They thought it was going to mess up your throwing mechanics and whatnot. So I kind of, as, as you'd learned from me, I'm kind of like a rogue and uh, <laughs> go against the grain a lot. And when I got to high school, I fell in love with the weight room. And it was in that moment that I realized that moving well and strengthening those patterns with, with resistance actually made all these injuries and aches and pains go away. Yeah. And I realized really quick that I was weak as shit. <laughs> and all that practice meant nothing because I had no foundational level of strength. And it was at that moment where I really realized that I was a much better um, provider than a player and a much better coach and athlete because I started helping out other people. And I was like fascinated by helping you know, coach and help athletes get stronger and move better. And it was, was there and then that I kind of, I guess, started to develop my philosophy. And, and it started to unfold as I went into my athletic training degree at the University of Pittsburgh and then worked for the Pittsburgh Pirates for a little bit and then went down to uh, Duke in North Carolina to get my doctorate in physical therapy and went back to Duke to graduate and moved right out of here right away. Yeah. Um, it was interesting because, you know, I went through all that physical therapy for high school and all these baseball injuries and whatnot, and it was terrible. Like, looking yeah. back on it, like, it was the common – I mean, you, you've probably seen it too. Uh, you get all the ultrasound and the massage and the stim and, like, the bullshit fucking TheraBand exercises. I call them jack-off exercises now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't, doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, but then I went to the insurance-based clinics here in Arizona, and it was like deja vu all over again. Yeah, I was doing. I was now that guy, though. Yeah, I was now that guy forced to have to see three to four people an hour and take them through all that same bullshit. And it was like jumping from clinic to clinic until I realized that it wasn't the clinic; it was the system, and it was yeah. me. I had much too uh, much more of an, an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, mind, entrepreneurial mindset than I thought I had uh, back in PT school. And it was at that point where I just kind of jumped ship, didn't know what the hell I was going to do. But I've always been a risk taker and opened up shop in the back of a CrossFit gym back in like 2016. So yeah, that's, uh, that's there's a lot to unpack yeah. there, man. There's uh, Dude, so much. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. So along the same path, um, I just couldn't get into PT school because I couldn't get past the math, which is mm. like, you know. So I'm one of those people that if you can't tell me why then I don't give a shit. You know mm -hmm, what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, and you know, so why are we doing this? Well, because you need to know the velocity of the hockey puck sliding without friction <laughs> down the road. And I'm like, for what? Like, how does that help me? You know what I mean? Like I start, I didn't start understanding physics until I graduated massage school and started mm -hmm. reading like Stuart McGill stuff. This mm, is why yeah, yeah. lifting with a flat back is better than lifting with a curved back. And I'm like, oh, okay, see, that's what I need. You know what I mean? That this is why, this yeah. is why a deadlift gets heavier the further away from your midline or, or further away from your shin it goes. Okay, great. That's what I need. You see? Like, this is how this works. And so um, just couldn't get behind that. And then, uh, you know, I was uh, trying to – just get through the prereqs and I uh, missed passing my physics class by 1.2 points and had stress induced heart palpitations for like three weeks. And mm -hmm. then understood that this uh, school in town, this massage school uh, took financial aid. So I jumped on that. And then right out of massage school, I started taking like DNS and, mm, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. And then, you know, um, 
going through all that education, then starting to look at massage therapy and be like, why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? So why are we, you know, cause we're, we're not releasing anything. We're convincing the brain of safety because mm-hmm. that part of the body is under threat and we need to figure out why that is and then start going down that whole route. And then I start, you know, going to FRC doing all the kin stretch stuff. And then I go back to the CrossFit gym. And so that's like, you know, that's where we're similar as well. I had like an unspoken partnership with this CrossFit gym. And then the more education I got, the more I started looking at it and be like, why are we doing that? It doesn't make any sense. Like, why are we doing 150 pull-ups? Why? So like, if you look at it, like, you, you know, Andrea Spina talks about prerequisites all the time. So if you can't do more than five strict pull-ups, but then you can do like a hundred kipping pull-ups in a workout, what are we doing? We're really just using momentum to circumvent our strength deficit. And then and it you hides compensations too. Right. And then you yeah. don't have shoulder mobility. So then you're just, you don't have the strength to decelerate at the bottom of that kipping pull up. And then I'm just looking at everything going, this is so stupid. Why are we doing that? <laughs> and then, <laughs> which ultimately got me ostracized from that CrossFit community. And I'm just uh. like, <laughs> so it's just this big, huge kind of rigmarole. <laughs> You know, but yeah, I understand. And, and, you know, going, you know, th- there's clients that come to me from physical therapists and, mm-hmm. and Kairos. And I'm just like, I'm a massage therapist that read some books. What are you guys doing? Like, what are we doing? Well, and that's why I thought I knew that this conversation would be, would be so beneficial is because we come from very different, are very different backgrounds, but very similar mindsets. Right. And you remind me a lot of myself because I was always that question asker, like, why? Like, why the fuck are we doing this? Why does this even matter? Yeah. And I'll tell you what, you didn't miss much in PT school. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's... They didn't it's, teach us about movement. Yeah, it and it's... Pass the boards and not kill somebody. It's funny because I also cannot keep my mouth shut. I just have to shake the tree. You know what I mean? I'm just like, why are we doing this? And so it's, uh, it's really funny. And then it's also kind of a bummer because you know, a lot of the stuff that we had to learn in order to acquire the prerequisites to, to get our bachelor's degree, which was also a prerequisite to get into this program, to not really learn anything to, which is something that I hear from a lot of PTs, which is why a lot of them just go down that rabbit hole of continuing education, right? And then, so then you're just like, well, why does that cost a house? You know what I mean? Like, why did I just like essentially take out a mortgage in order to get this doctorate to go, you know, to go learn once I get out of school? <laughs> it's just the, the, the education system is, is so far behind where I think a lot of uh, the progressive thinkers within the field are moving right now. And that's been kind of what kind of one of my, I guess, uh, focuses as of late is trying to shift this education realm. And the way I kind of explain this to people, it's like moving the Titanic. Like if you try to turn it too fast or too hard, it's going to capsize. Yeah. And that's why it's just going to be slow, gradual turns over time with like-minded people like you and I who are at the front of the pack kind of leading the way with all of this. Right. And it's, and it's just, it's going to take time. It's going to be a slow, uh, it's going to be slow progress, but as long as we keep pushing the needle forward in the right direction, we're going to get where we're going to go with it. Right. And like pushing the needle, that's really, uh, 
it's a really important thing to say because I have the seemingly insurmountable task of legitimizing massage therapy as a rehabilitative practice, right? Mm-hmm. Getting people out of that societal narrative of what massage therapy is and really educating massage therapists so that they don't feed that societal narrative, you know, because I have clients all the time come in and say, I want deep tissue. You're like, what does that mean? Like, is that really what you want? Or is that just a thing that you think that you should say when you meet up with your massage therapist? You know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. It's just like, f- find my psoas, please. Can you, can you get through all of that layer of muscle and viscera and everything and get down to a, a, a tissue in the body that surgeons, you actually even have a hard time finding with the scalpel. But right. You know what? So it's all influence in the nervous it. system. And so like, <laughs> you know, if you, and so I still work, I still work quote unquote on the psoas all the time because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what people think that they need. And if what people think that they need, if you give them that, then they feel better. And it's like the, the placebo kind of effect. Right. And so like, it's a, uh, and, and I work on that thing all the time. And, you know, there's just understanding like what Andrea Spina says is it's all the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And so all those guts and all those organs and all those muscles and all that stuff just isn't just loose and hanging out in there. It's all <laughs> like, something. Yeah. It's all yeah. like connected through fascial webbing mm-hmm. and connective tissue and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So one thing influences the next thing, you know what yeah. I mean? And so what we're doing is just providing sensory input to that body so that the brain's like, Oh, I know what to do now. And then it does it, you know, and then that's where like the movement practice comes in. And that's why I'm really trying to teach massage therapists that we need to move instead of just fixing them on the table, be like, you feel better. All right. You know, (laughs) dude, you're Jesse, you're you're tugging at my heartstrings a lot right now. Um, (laughs) Because I mean, you bring up a very good point though, of people come to you seeking a specific intervention or they want to feel a specific way. And as the provider, you have to take that into consideration. And it's a big component that I talk about a lot with uh, my students and my mentees is you have to walk the fine line of giving people what they want and what they need. Like there is a point where you do have to establish buy-in and attending to those needs into that effective domain is super, super important because it's going to allow you to build trust. So you're bringing up a huge component of one of the, uh, the modules in the course that I just developed with the power athlete guys on communication. And the way that I kind of describe this is it's, we have to build a container, right? Yeah. We have to build a container that allows for the physical, emotional, and the psychological transformation to occur. But that container, the framework of it is laying the foundation with good questions like that, because that shows that you are actually listening to them. And then having the presence in the state line to actually hear what they're saying and reframe and articulate it in a way that helps them understand you. And that top lid of the container, we open that with trust. Yeah. And the only way that we do that is through the foundation of good question asking and listening. And when we build that level of trust, it allows the client to feel safe and supported. And that's where the magic happens because you and I, we could be the best coaches out there. We could provide the best interventions, write the best freaking programs on mobility and strength and help them reach their goals. But if they don't buy into it, they don't trust you to help guide them along the way. It's useless. Right. right? They're not going to believe in you. So what does it matter? Yeah. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting (laughs) that you mentioned like uh, the emotional and psychological component to that. 
mm-hmm. because a lot of that is uh, largely ignored by a majority of practitioners. So, you know, there's a, you know, like breathing is a good example. And so that's really hot in our industry right now, breathing, breathing, breathing. So, but if somebody has like a, a, a major injury, like a life altering injury, like a torn ACL or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like I had one client who was a collegiate soccer player, really good, tore ACL, but in the process of tearing that ACL, she had that, that uh, natural startle response, which is to take a big, sharp, deep breath in, mm-hmm. right? And then so that ACL is now connected to her diaphragm, which is where she like stored the trauma of that injury. And so when you start getting her to work on those breathing mechanics, you start to see that she's like actually breathing around her diaphragm because she's avoiding like instigating that trauma response. And so you have to deal with that. And like you said, build trust and talk to them and unpack that whole entire situation before you can even get into anything that resembles any kind of training. You know, it's like, it's this huge drawn out process. And think about that from the the aspect of you just mentioned that she was a very high level collegiate soccer player. Like that was likely her identity. Yeah. So from a psychological standpoint now, she can't do the things that make her who she is, which from a psychological standpoint can have huge ramifications leading to all different types of things like depression and anxiety and feeling alone, like, and not within the the community or the group that she is used to. And what we see with this is these big traumatic events, whether that be psychological, physical, or emotional, it's almost like a PTSD in a way, yeah. right? And it's, it's interesting because our nervous system is really, it's only 30% nerve cells. Yeah. The rest, the, 70, the rest of the 70% are actually immune cells, right? So when we get an injection by like a vaccine or something, right, you inject a pathogen in there, hoping that later on, if we become exposed to it, our body will amount the required immune response to be able to battle it and combat it so we don't get a disease, right? Well, if we have these same immune cells in our nervous system, these injuries that we see from all those different realms, psychological, emotional, physical, our brain remembers that stuff. And a great example is I was T-boned in my Nissan Frontier truck here probably about four years ago now. And aside from it being completely paid off and now <laughs> having that car payment, um, I was T-boned, pushed across three lanes of traffic into a $100,000 Mercedes. The truck did what we need to do with protecting me. Of course, I walked away with some neck pain and some hip pain. You know, it was a pretty traumatic event. Uh, but after a couple of weeks, all that stuff subsided. But the interesting point is, is that every time I drive through that same intersection here in Phoenix, guess what happens? Yeah. I get neck pain and hip pain again, yet it's four years later and there's really nothing physically wrong with me. There's nothing pathologically wrong in my body. There's no more tissue damage. Right. But my brain remembers that environment. This is the biggest piece that I see with rehabilitating people from injury, especially with the athletes, because they go through this phase of rehabilitation in a clinic, right? That's standard two to three times a week for them to recover from an ACL injury. 16 to 18 weeks later, what do we do? they're fucking lost at this point, right? There's no transition to get them back into sport. They go in this like no man's land and they'll have no idea how to transition. And a lot of the uh, setbacks that we see is because their brain, if they tore that ACL, let's say out in the soccer player, like your girl, like out in the soccer field, they go back out in the soccer field. And even though the environment is technically safe, the brain still remembers that. And what starts to happen? Just like you talked about with the breath, they take that short breath, they get out of the diaphragm, and they start to hesitate. 
Mm -hmm. And when we hesitate, that's when we see a lot of these efficient motor programs that we once had go out the window. Yeah. And that's where all the, the old compensation pattern cell can start to come back out and we can set ourselves up to a higher risk of injury at that point. Yeah, man. And you know, the more you dive into it, the more you're like, God, it's amazing. We made it this far. You know what I mean? Like we're just, <laughs> tell me about that, Jesse. We're so resilient <laughs> and so robust, but we're also just like, shit, man. Like, you know, <laughs> holding on to these like childhood micro traumas that affect us kind of forever. And, and so oh, yeah. that's like the point where you talk about with the trust, like, and you know, that's the other thing that, um, like I was alluding to earlier with my running is like abandoning this intensity thing. And so intensity in like, like I said, I started out in like in a CrossFit gym. And so intensity in the way where once you're into threat, then you just go full bore into threat. Right. You know what I mean? And that's just, that is, I believe, uh, like counterproductive to the overall task of everything. And so, you know, if I have, if I'm working with a client, we're going through that movement practice and I see them start to elevate their emotions, start to elevate, we're done for the day. You know what I mean? Because they're anything after that is no longer productive because then they're just, we're integrating that threat response into that movement practice, which is not what our overall goal is. No, because now you take something that physical activity, which is supposed to be beneficial for the body, we turn into a, a, a negative ramification because yes, essentially going into a sympathetic response for a short amount of time is beneficial. Right. However, if we do it seven days a week, sometimes even twice a day, or constantly running from that saber tooth tiger, yeah. the brain doesn't like that, right? We're used to these shorter bouts of it. And when it becomes chronic in nature, that's where we start to see these whole host of issues. And like, for you as a massage therapist, I'm sure you get people coming in all the time with all these tight areas that they want, want worked out and mm -hmm. they want to feel looser. Well, what if those tight areas are because it's a protective mechanism from your brain guarding over a lack of control, strength, or stability? Right. And so that becomes have, a problem. Right. And so you have to understand that because what if you're my client and my, that intersection that you were talking about is on the way to my office every time you come. Mm -hmm. And so I don't acknowledge that. But then I'm just like, God, why won't this guy's hip get better? Why won't this guy's neck get better? Yeah. Well, because he's passing through a threat response, a subconscious threat response on the way to my office. And then if you have like remedial massage knowledge, you're just like, oh, his neck hurts. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go to town on his neck. You know what I mean? Like that's right. not, it's like I keep saying counterproductive. So then what do we do? So you, that, you know, so then that's my favorite question. Why? Why are you doing that? Where is this coming from? Why does that hurt? Let's yeah. talk about well, it. Let's, let's, let's bring up the, the CrossFitters for an example, right? Yeah. Like we know that it has um, a lot of benefit for improving you know, risk factors for cardiovascular disease and metabolic disorders, but it's in the acute term, right? right. So we know if we take somebody who's been doing CrossFit for six months, we're going to see great health markers. We take right. some blood work from them. But what happens, you know, two, three, five years down the, down the road when they're continuing to do this highly sympathetic activity day after day after day? Right. My, my, I mean, because if in the reality of things, CrossFit's only been around for like a decade. Right. Really have no long-term data on all this stuff. So these are all hypotheses, so to speak, but they're kind of trending in a way. My guess is that you're going to see this nice spike and elevation of great hormone markers, and then you're going to hit a plateau and just plummet. Right. Once, so, once you can't go anymore. Yeah. So I have, man... 
and I just, <laughs> this is why I got ostracized from that community. <laughs> because not only did I start asking why, I started looking around at what we're doing. You know yes. what I mean? So like, I think that it's a healthy expression of subconscious anxiety. You know what I mean? So like, oh God, I got to get better. I have to get faster. I have to deadlift heavy. What if I didn't deadlift heavy today? Everybody's going to know. Everybody's looking at me. Okay. What should I do? Well, how can I explain why I didn't deadlift heavy? Well, because you're, you shouldn't be. Like, because you're, you're fearing yeah. shame and judgment. At that right. Point. right. You, so, so you take one of the positive benefits of the community aspect of the gym and you turn it around to a negative because now you fear everybody. Right. They think about you. Right. And then, <laughs> so, and then, you know, going on to like constant stress response. So like the, you know, after a while, that constant stress response, one of the, um, one of the side effects is high cortisol. Cortisol mm -hmm. starts to consume proteins. So then you start wondering why you're, why you're, uh, plateauing on everything. It's because your stress response is starting to consume muscle and all kinds of stuff like that is causing inflammation, all this other stuff. And then, you know, going back to like the stress response, like all these people who there's like first responders that do it because they, they somehow got it in their head that they need to do these high intensity workouts constantly. So then mm -hmm. like a paramedic does like a 48 hour shift where they're on constant calls, the first thing they do when they get off shift is CrossFit. And then they do <laughs> CrossFit every single day. And then they go back to work. And you're just like, you're a disaster. This is why you have pain. This is why you have all these problems. Like you shouldn't, you should at least take one, maybe two days rest before you go back to CrossFit. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just crazy. And it's just like this huge... Thing. It's all context driven, right? Right. It, you have to understand where you fall on. I call it the athletic continuum. Right. Um, essentially, it's just that that line where it's like, okay, well, if you're down here in the highly sympathetic state because of your job and your home life and the emotional ramifications of your work and all these things, like, yeah, maybe doing CrossFit's probably not the best thing for you. And I learned this real quick. I actually worked with the uh, fire and police departments down here in Phoenix for a few years. And they are some of the most banged up, brutally beaten up people out there. Right. And it wasn't necessarily because they weren't physically fit. They can, I mean, they can do so much from a capacity standpoint, but they're really biologically unwell. Right. Because they are constantly exercising it. They forgot how to move. Yeah. And that was the problem. And, and, that's, and that's something I think that is completely missing a lot from a lot of the, the great uh, rehab professionals out there is that we are so, so focused on providing this level of hands-on care and, and even from your end too, but then also we bastardize exercise. Yeah. Like I think, so my whole perspective is, is like we've, and it's one of the reasons why I've gotten out of, out of the CrossFit gym model because you see a lot of the PTs that are inside these gyms, especially around here. It's like, it's, it's like fighting this battle to the bottom of yeah. who could charge the cheapest amount for literally the same bullshit. Yeah. Like I'm going to massage you, cup you, needle you, all this pain away. But then we start lumping in these corrective exercises. And I think these corrective exercises are now being put into that same silo because we're applying them, like literally throwing shit up against the wall to see what sticks because we aren't conceptualizing and understanding why the body is moving in a certain way and why we need to like give them and intervene with that specific movement. Right. We're just like, oh, I saw on Instagram that these hip mobility drills work great for people and it improves their squat. Well, what if they don't need them? Right. What if it's not, you know what I mean? What if it's, you know, a collapsed ankle on the left side that's causing a right pelvic rotation and now you've got a relatively 
internally rotated hip on the right and relatively externally rotated hip on the left. And all that adductor pain and tightness that you're feeling isn't really because it's tight. It's because it'd be overly lengthened because of the foot. Right. Yeah. So, so you give all these hip mobility drills and roll out your adductor for what? Yeah. And so that's, that's why, why are you doing that? And why? so it's like, right. And so it goes back to, you know, the said principle, which is something that, you know, the specific adaptation to impose demand. So, you, right. And so like, if you're squatting, then why are you squatting? What's the effect that you're trying to get out of it? If you're squatting slower then your brain's reacting to the movement that you're doing and it's adapting accordingly. But if you're squatting fast, then you constantly have all these compensation patterns and then your brain's just like, well, oh, shit, just spit out protein, I guess. <laughs> like fucking, <laughs> we need more stuff here. You know what yeah. I mean? And then it's, yeah. then, you know, and then you have athletes coming up. Well, how do I get a better squat? Well, you got to work on your ankle mobility because your ankle mobility is terrible. Well, how long will that take? Oh, about six months. I don't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> have a shitty you're, squat. Like, <laughs> you're, you're preaching to the choir right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, yes, we can make some pretty jiggy neurological adaptations in like two to three weeks. We call that neuromuscular efficiency. Right. You, you could feel better. You could open up some range. But you know very well that structural adaptations take, you know, three to six months to start to unfold. Not to mention, it takes upwards of years to see really any permanent change. And the, the, the uh, kind of story I always tell with this is, you know, me being that great baseball player that I was. Yeah. Well, I was a catcher. Yeah. So I was a catcher for nearly 16 years and my feet were all kinds of jacked up, dude. Like I was in cleats. I was squatting on my toes. Like when I first got out of playing baseball, my brain was like, you squat with your heels down. How the fuck does this work? Right. Right. But my feet were so painful. I walked like a duck. My arches were collapsed. If you actually look at my navicular bones on both sides, they have more bone buildup on top of them from them constantly hitting the ground. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got to PT school and learned that, Hey, the foot is just literally like any other part of the body. You can strengthen it up. You can make it stronger. You can make it more resilient, more mobile. And it took me three years, dude, three yeah. years of this stuff of like slowly taking myself out of shoes that my parents, you know, they didn't know any better. They put me in all these custom orthotics and big cushiony moon shoes, like the Hoka's and all that shit and Brooks and, it just made my feet weaker over time, yet it made it temporarily feel better, which was kind of the point, right? Right. Um, so it took three years to, to get off of that. I weaned myself down out of the shoes and actually started going barefoot. And I went from a size 12 and a half to a size 10 and a half shoe. Yeah. Over three years. But people don't want to take the, the time or the effort to go into that. Like, what's the quick fix? Right. What can I achieve now? Right. And so that's like, so that's one of the reasons why CrossFit's beneficial, right? It's if you're, if you're sitting on the couch and you're shitty and then you start doing CrossFit, then you're less shitty. <laughs> right. And so that's like, yeah. so that's no, like, it's veganism. It's yeah. And that's veganism. Right. So like mm -hmm. if you're eating shitty and then you start eating vegan, is it better? Yes. But for how long? I don't know. How shitty are you? So it's like, you know what I mean? So it's just this, it's this big, Dude, old <laughs> it's a sense of normalcy. Right. right. So we could attack this from different areas. Like I, I mentioned that athletic continuum, whereas people who are moving a certain way, their pendulum is literally swinging down here. Right. It's in one little area. And guess what? You expose them to better movement patterns. And now you give that pendulum a, a wider breadth to swing. Right. And eventually the body will find that balance. We'll find that homeostasis in a better position. It's the same thing with the diet stuff. Like we've got close friends of ours that have been vegan for years, swinging down here at this end of the spectrum. 
Right. And all of a sudden, they start realizing that their body is craving meat again. Yeah. No fucking shit, really. Like, you've been literally depleting yourself for so long. Of course, you're, you're, you're finally listening to your, your body now, and they start eating meat again. But guess what the point of this is? They went completely, like, on the carnivore side of things. Yeah. To now where they're eating nothing but meat and protein and fat down on this end. So now they're depleting themselves of all the, the beneficial aspects of the veganism, which is the micronutrients of the colors of the rainbow, the vegetables and the fruits and the fiber and all that. So now they're starting to see these different ends of the spectrum. Guess what they're finally doing now? Right. Coming back to center. We're starting to introduce uh, more of the well-balanced diet again, and we're starting to get that swinging nature to come back to find a good level of homeostasis. Right. It's, why do we got to be so hardcore and everything, man? Like Because we crave the hardcore. That's what Instagram shows us. Yeah. And so that's like the, you know, I have those clients that are like, man, I felt like I was getting pretty lazy and then I ran nine miles and now my knee hurts. I'm like, start with a mile. Why did you yeah. run nine? Like, what are we doing? This is, mm-hmm. it's so weird. And so. <laughs> so then it's like, it's not really a movement issue. It's a, a load progression problem. Right. So I, then, you know, going like I was talking to, uh, Chris Duffin on my pod. Yeah. And he was talking about how it takes three years for your, uh, your ligaments, tendons and muscle tissues to adapt to deadlifting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So then, so, you know, you apply the load, the body responds accordingly. You apply more load, the body responds accordingly. CrossFit is like, we're going to do this workout real fucking fast. And then right afterwards, we're going to lift as heavy as possible. And then we're going to go run to cool down. And you're like, why? What are you doing? Like, and then like it became a sport, right? So like I, I started like right when it became a sport, like in 2010. Yeah, same and So then they started combining like strength days and conditioning days. And then we started wanting to do like two or three hours of training. And I am totally guilty of this. You know, like doing three, four hours of CrossFit a day. And then I realized like three hours or three years into that, where I was like, man, I am training four hours a day to be top 20 at a local competition. Like what? <laughs> this happened. You felt great about yourself, didn't you? You're a top dog. <laughs> Dude, I did in the gym. And then I would <laughs> go to, you know, so then a lot of those CrossFitters are working that hard and that diligently to become above average, mm-hmm. but then they run into an exceptional athlete and they're like, Oh, what? Oh, shit. And those exceptional athletes aren't even qualifying for regional competitions. <laughs> and then, so then they meet like a, a, like an overachieving exceptional athlete that qualifies for those regional competitions. They're like, Oh my God. And then they see that the 0.1% of the CrossFit games athletes and they're just like, oh, why did I think I was going to the games? That's crazy. And I'm like, Those well, are because... called genetic outliers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, genetic outliers with a whole host of Dianabol and other types of growth hormones. So it's right. And so, like, that's you know what you were talking about, where you're like, well, my grandpa was a phenomenal baseball player, so that means that I am. No, that just nope. means that doesn't mean yeah. a damn thing, <laughs> right? So the, the genetic potential it comes back to your genetics, your geography, and opportunity. I think that those are, are three different variables that come into play. So for me, I think I had a certain level of genetics, but we all have a, a very much 
and I believe there's a finite level of genetic potential for certain activities. Like you could do your hardest to train for them and, and get everything right, but at some point you're gonna reach your limit. Yeah. But then from a geography standpoint, like look where I grew up. I grew up in an area, I also played football, where literally coal region football was king in baseball. Right. Whereas I knew I loved lacrosse, but we didn't have a lacrosse team, so I wasn't gonna be able to play. Right. And then the opportunity, my dad was a baseball player. It ran in my family. He right. coached me literally from four years old till I graduated high school. Yeah. He provided every single opportunity for me to get better at that particular activity. Right. So you need to have all three levels of those things in there. But like, look with um, some of these high level CrossFit athletes, they come from great genetics, number one. They usually have some type of gymnastics or weight training background. So they yep. grew up in an area where that was uh, predominant and they were given the opportunity from that early age to grow those skills. Right. And that's how they got to be that way. Their body literally adapted to be able to handle that shit. Right. And then they just do the easy part, which is add a uh, cardio base on there. Exactly. Then, you know, but that's already at them performing at an exceptional level. And so I have bad news for all you out there. If you're starting CrossFit at the age of 25, you're never going to make it. Sorry. It's the way that it works. You know, like if you're just like coming off the couch and starting CrossFit at like mid twenties to early thirties, you're never going to get there. And so it's a, it's just, anyway, <laughs> moving on. It, past comes, it comes, it comes back to the, let's bring it back to the why. Cause that's yeah. been the common theme of this whole conversation. So right. why do people get into that? And you see the predominant reason for people getting into activities like this is they want to look better naked. Like, right. Let's be honest. We always want to attract the opposite mate because right. we want to look better in the mirror or look yeah. better for a potential suitor. And that becomes a driving force. And once, I mean that, and that's what the cross stuff is great at is like, yeah, you can make some pretty quick changes. Like we can get you a six pack in six months. Right. But we know that can happen. That's but the problem. What are you after? Like, do you want that? I want, I'm going to burn out like a rocket. I'm yeah. going to look great. Yeah, I'm going to die young. Or do you want lifelong vitality? Right. And so and that, I think, was, that was something that I had to really wrap my head around. Once I got done with that CrossFit and that competitive drive was, well, what does training for life mean? Mm -hmm. And then what does eating for life mean? Like, how does that work? Because I'd, I would always eat for competition and I would always make sure that I had competition spread four to five months apart so that I could mm. fuck off for a month, eat whatever <laughs> I wanted, and then get back on it and then compete. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and I structured my CrossFit training around uh, like what the concept of training for competition was for MMA, which is what I started out in initially. And so, mm. you know, you... Mm start slow and then you peak and then you compete and then you rest you know you're not just constantly vibrating up here which is mm -hmm. and it's just not maintainable and then there's just so many fitness crazes surrounding that like uh orange theory whatever it is building off the same dogma yeah right it's just uh drives me crazy well well now with with all the i need to and i'm, I'm going to kind of go, to go on a little bit of a rant here um yeah with all the gyms opening up now, mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of stuff, a lot of memes going through the Instagrams with, <laughs> you ever watch SpongeBob SquarePants? Every once in a while. Yeah, scrawny little guy, right? Scrawny right. little cartoon. So there's, a, there's pictures now of him like trying to make a bicep and it's not going anywhere. And even PTs, like PTs that I know out there saying, oh, I lost all my gains not being able to be in a gym and lift weights. Yeah. It's like, I call bullshit on that. Like if you really understand how the body moves, 
and how to actually, once again, said principle, he brought that up and progressively overload the body with specific joint angles and under the resistance of guess what? Gravity through different things like eccentrics and isometrics, you can maintain and actually build a lot of muscle mass. And I'm a six foot one, 205 pound guy. I haven't, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I haven't touched a barbell in two years. Yeah. I haven't I'm touched a barbell in two years. I'm in the best shape of my life with the most muscle mass in my life. Right. And so like, I don't, I work with a barbell probably once every two or three months. Yeah. Just because I feel like it that day. It's not a substantial part of my training system at all. I use uh, kettlebells and sandbags a lot right now. I'm really getting into those steel clubs and the, the steel maces and all like, but just the intention behind the movement that you're doing there. is basically right. Is exactly what you were just talking yeah. about. And so ever since this, um, this shutdown, you know, I started teaching kin stretch classes online mm-hmm. and I'm maintaining my strength without using any of that equipment because I don't have a class full of people to instruct to, I just have me performing all of these intentional movement patterns for the people that are watching online. And so I'm doing four classes a week and like there's been weeks where I'm sore as shit and I can't sleep because my hips are so screwed up. I'm just like, oh my God, you know, and that's just from lift and hold. Yeah. And that's it, you know. there, there's beauty in that too. And that, this is kind of how, um, I guess you and I actually originally connected was through a mutual friend of ours, Ian Marco. Yep. Um, who like realized, we realized we're in the same state, just kind of two and a half hours apart from each other. You're a little more North up there in Flagstaff. Um, but the way I explain this to people too, is like, just imagine you being able to access more of your muscle fibers. Right. Right. So you improve your range of motion through something like like this, like the kin stretch, or I mean, let's let's call it what it is, spade to spades. It's just PNF, it's contract relax type of stuff. And you start to improve your your brain's ability to open up these ranges because it now senses that staging the control of how you can go into these ranges without essentially without fucking yourself up. Yep. You open these up, you now expose them to different loads, i.e. gravity is usually enough at this point because they are novel, right? There are new ranges that haven't been exposed to any type of resistance before. You now have the capability to build more capacity within these muscles. You have more cross bridging that occurs. You can now make these muscles larger through hypertrophy. And all of a sudden, you are now getting stronger, more powerful, and faster because you now have more to work with. Right. And so that all effectively reduces threat. Yes. Right. So, and so the way I explain it to people is that the way you move creates a map of your body and your brain. Yes. And so the way you don't move creates darkness within that brain map. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why you don't have shoulder mobility is because there's a part of your shoulder that you don't use. So when you access that part of your shoulder, it's like running through a living room and somebody turns the lights off. Yes. And so that's why it's tight is because it's pulling it closer to the trunk in order to keep it safe. And so if you access that area and you start shining a flashlight in there, then your brain's like, Oh, I know what that is. And then, yeah. (laughs) And so it's just, uh, it's, yeah, it makes sense to me, but I spent, and I just have to keep remembering that I spent five years learning all this. Yes. You know what I mean? Overnight, but that's the responsibility of guys like you and me and girls like you and me, um, any type of coach, any type of provider out there, let's be honest. Like if you're, helping somebody move towards a goal, you're a coach. Yeah. If you're helping somebody move better, you're a coach. Right. Physical therapists from, from my profession, we are supposed to be the, the doctors, the masters of movement. 
Yet yeah. most PTs don't understand movement. And essentially what we are is we're a guide, right? right? We're the GPS system. We're, we're yeah. the nav system helping you move throughout these maps that you just talked about. And what people don't really know is they don't have access to all these areas in the map. So the brain's going to be like, well, we still got to get you from point A to point B, but we're going to create detours. We're going to go in these workarounds. And these are your compensation patterns, essentially. These are those deep ruts, those deep grooves that you now start to ingrain into your nervous system that helps you get from point A to point B. And that's why it's like, I think a lot of these dysfunctions that we see out there aren't really necessarily dysfunctions in a way. I think that they're just patterns that people get themselves stuck into and don't know any other better way to move out of them. Right. And so our goal is to get from A to B. So -hmm. if your knee hurts, we're still going to get to A to B. We're just going to figure out a new way to do that. You know? And so if you continue to do that for a long period of time, then shit's going to start screaming at you from other places, ankles, Mm -hmm. knees, hips, wherever, you know? And so we just have to figure out why is this person moving that way? And it's, and you know, that that's why I think the assessment is so important and understanding that every time that person comes into you, you are doing a different assessment. And so the more you start to learn about that person, the faster the assessment will go based off of the information that you've accumulated on this person. But each time they come in, they're going to be moving differently based off of the the environment that they're in when you're not there. And it's interesting now with all of the, the COVID stuff is in the rehab realm, I literally have been getting Instagram messages and emails from other PTs out there asking how to assess people yeah. without being able to put their hands on them in person. They're like freaking Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> right. They <It's> just. Like, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. I mean, this is the reality of it. You just and look and listen, man. Like <laughs> you look and that's perfect. If you can sum it up in any way, that's it. Look and listen. Because I, I had one girl who's like, I don't understand how I can test strength and flexibility and range of motion without my hands. And my response to her was, do you need to? Yeah. Just right. Like, do you even need to test that stuff? Well, what do you, so what are you looking for? Right. Because like if they're laying on the table, they're not moving. And exactly. so that's one thing that I have to keep teaching massage therapists. As soon as their feet hit the ground, everything changes. So did your corrections hold? Yes or no? Because that's really important. So it's like the test and retest. Mm-hmm. What did you do on the table? Get them off. Does that work better? Yes or no? Okay, we're going to try something else. You know what I mean? And it's uh, and so I, I released a whole entire um, two-hour webinar teaching massage therapists how to do telehealth conferences. I love that. And nobody bought it. And I'm just <laughs> like, what are you guys doing? And they're just like, we'll get back to normal. And we're like, will we though? Uh, it's never going to be normal again. No. And so that's one mm-hmm. of the things that I mm-hmm. wanted to jump onto because we're running out of time. Um, yeah. But, you know, um, you know, because Arizona's open mm-hmm. effectively. And so it's uh you know, given us a lot of anxiety as far as opening our gym goes. And so we decided to stay closed until June 1st, because I have friends that work at the hospital, my wife's a nurse, and their projected surge date is June 11th. And oh, is so, it really? Okay. Yeah. And so what's funny is, is like you guys down in Phoenix didn't get touched by this hardly at all. Mm-hmm. Where in Flagstaff, we just got hammered. And it's we got hammered based off of the numbers that were coming off of the the Indian reservation, the Navajo Mm, reservation, mm, because they don't mm. have social distancing at all. And so 
you know, we, and it's man, it's back to normal. And it's just freaking me out because I like, you know, uh, when this all started like late February, early March, everybody kept saying, Hey, what do you think? What do you think? And I said, I'm not going to panic until my wife panics. Yeah. And she she's called on, me she's one, on the front lines. Yeah. She called me one day from work. She's like, don't fucking go outside. Don't talk to anyone. Don't even <laughs> breathe. And I'm like, okay, so you're saying this is a problem. Okay. <laughs> We're good. And so, you know, so I, and the way that I'm looking at it right now is I think that based off of this quote unquote new normal gyms are going to start to kind of peter out. And mm. I think that home gyms, are going to start becoming more prominent. And so I wanted to see what your thoughts are on that because, yeah. and I'm also before, cause we're almost out of time, but like, I'm glad we got this out of the way before we met up in person. Cause we'd just be yeah. sitting there yelling at each other we in a <laughs> coffee shop and people be like, what the hell's the matter with these guys? <laughs> <laughs> let's just, let's vent it all out now. Uh, you're like uh, another one of my really good friends who helped me develop this course that I'm working on out of West Virginia, Dr. Nick Kyle. Uh, it'd be interesting to have all three of us together because we all come from a very similar uh, perspective. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. And like to get on our soapboxes, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, from the, from the home gym perspective, I think that falls well in line with where we're seeing a lot of the, the rehab and the business stuff moving as well. Um, like I'm already in the process of building up my home, home gym because I really don't need a lot of equipment to begin with. Um, but I think a lot of people are now realizing, which I think is great from this whole thing, from the creativity standpoint, is they're finding new ways, they're discovering new ways to move and new ways to help improve their patterns and everything. Yeah. And they're realizing real quick that, hey, my body, maybe it feels better not crossfitting seven days a week or feeling the need to have to go into a gym like that. And there's a local gym that's actually right down the road here who's only opening it up three days a week right now, which... I think is great. It's like, let's see how people, when you give them structured, structured essentially periodization and rest days in between, yeah. how that handle that and how that helps them perceive their body. It's, I think it's going to be a great way to build awareness and become more in tune with how your body's feeling, which is going to then be able to direct your movement choices later on down the road. And we're seeing that right now, even with the, the rehab stuff where, where people are pivoting, which I think is great. Like now we're creating all this online information. People are learning from homes. We don't need the expenses of all these, you know, big offices and rent and stuff like that. And I, I think that it's, it's like a constraint, right? Yeah. So when we, when we train and we help somebody move better, we impose a level of a constraint that's going to help them adapt in a specific way. Well, same thing with this, like we've now imposed a constraint of you can't put your hands on anybody. How are you going to be effective at your job? Right. Yeah. Which is great because now we're all learning like one way or another, you're either going to adapt and evolve and grow or you're going to stay stagnant and you're going to, you know, breed this mediocrity and complacency, which is just going to leave you left in the dust. Right. And so, you know, the, when people come and do uh, personal training with me and so the way that I work is if I have to see you more than once a week for a massage, then you just start training with me. And mm -hmm. that's just because you need a movement practice. You don't need like a couple of corrections. Mm -hmm. And so when people start training with me, then I have, I have them training three days a week. And then the rest of the week is up to them. What do you want to get good at? Do you want to get better at soccer? Good. My movement practice that you pay me for is going to enhance 
your soccer playing abilities. It's going to enhance your running. And that's initially what CrossFit was for, right? Yes. Was to, well, I want to get better at volleyball. I want to get better at whatever. But then, like I said, it became a sport. And then mm -hmm. that became everybody's primary focus. And so the gym, I believe, is to make you just a more functional human, a more, more of a benefit to society. You know what I mean? So like mm -hmm. my whole um, movement practice is don't be a liability. Right. And Love so that. like, and I got that from uh, Laird Hamilton, um, but I was uh, taking an education course in Dallas and I was walking through the airport and I was like, I'm the fittest fucking guy in here. This is crazy. <laughs> and then I started thinking about like all those shootings that were happening mm -hmm. in Dallas at that time. And I was like, man, and I was looking at this lady who was just on the struggle bus walking through the terminal, trying to get to the bus that took us to the rental car place. And I'm like, nobody's saving you. And you're not saving anybody. You know what I mean? Like, do you need to deadlift 600 pounds? No. But should you be able to deadlift your spouse and drag them out of a burning house? For sure. Yeah. Do I need to run a six minute mile like Matt? No. But should I be able to run away from danger? Absolutely. You know what I mean? So like, what are we doing? Basic and human so, skills. Right. And so your, your movement practice should be enhancing that. It shouldn't be your only thing that you're doing detracting away from it and like a great example of this too is like look at how many people are out there training powerlifting and, and crossfit and everything like that and then they go to pick up a water bottle or pick up their child and all of a sudden their back goes out right and that's because they picked it up in a manner that they're not used to doing uh -huh. and then they have that darkness in their brain map like i was exactly. explaining earlier and then their brain's like oh shit and just locks everything up in order mm -hmm. to protect you from injury right see it and, all the time and, and there's so a huge disconnect right and so that's why like I keep preaching neck cars are so important because we barely nod and we barely shake our head. And then when we have to look suddenly to the left, we're like, and then it all locks up and I can't move my neck. You know, it's just, it's, it's this constant battle of constantly trying to uh, educate our clients on what's really happening. Beautiful. That's what it comes down to, right? Is all the education piece, which I know that uh, the two of us are firmly rooted in, and, and use that as a delivery mechanism because uh, when it comes down to it, Jesse, like we're just, we're using the gym, like you mentioned, we're using our, our online educational material as movement, as like a medium to create that container for change that I kind of opened up with. And then once we do so, that's where we can get all that transformation to occur. Yeah. But the, 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 the root of it all is literally in how it is delivered. Perfect. All right. Well, I got to let you go. So uh, quickly tell everybody where we can find you. Sure. Sure. So I am currently restructuring a website. So rootitinmovement.com will be up uh, shortly here. It's the acronym MVMNT, but you can find me at rootitinmovement in the Instagram worlds. And that's probably the best place where you can interact with me. And then uh, email address is Matt at zanisphysicaltherapy.com. Perfect. That was awesome. And dude, I think the next time we do this, I got to come up to Flagstaff and do this uh, around two in person. So I, I like it. Down here. I'm in. All right, brother. Good talking to you, man. Good to meet yeah, you. Yeah, you as well. All right, we'll talk again soon. And hey, take care, man. Hey, brother.